0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Hebrews chapter 11 is where we are once again. Hebrews chapter 11. A chapter that seems to have 355 verses. It only has 40 verses. We uh, have been here for a few weeks now. We've seen... Abel, we've seen Enoch, we've seen Noah, we've seen Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham and Sarah slowed things down quite a bit. Because Abraham all those other earlier usages just had a single verse Abel got a verse, Enoch got a verse and a verse of commentary Noah got a verse Abraham, look what Abraham gets 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 and then we have commentary in 13, 14 15, 16 all center on Abraham and Sarah and uh, also Isaac and Jacob that get mentioned in verse 9. So dealing with the patriarchs, dealing with the early history of the Jewish people before the Exodus. We move on to verse 17 where we were last week dealing with Abraham, Isaac and the sacrifice on Mount Moriah. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. And so you spend a hundred years waiting to have the son of promise, and then God tells you to go kill him. And it becomes another test of faith. And at some point, a human being, typical human being, would say, have I not been tested enough? Have I not proved enough? Why are you asking even more? Because you've been faithful with little things, you're being entrusted with bigger things, and don't blow it now, because there's more coming down the road. So stay faithful with each step of the way. It was he to whom it was said in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. And so we get his thinking. And I like this because this is not recorded in Genesis. Genesis does not give us the thought process that Abraham went through. But Hebrews eleven nineteen says he considered. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. Now, why would he consider such a thing? There was no scripture that told him such a thing was possible. In fact, there was no example of any resurrection prior to this event that should have encouraged Abraham that such a thing was possible, but such was his intimacy with the Father that he knew with God all things are possible, and he trusted the one who was telling him to do this. And this is what faith comes down to. We may not understand why we're doing what we're doing, but we know who we trust. We know whom we have believed. And so trusting him... As we sang in that hymn, if, where he goes, you know, if, if he's there, we'll go, and if he's not there we're not going to go we're going to stay right where we are because we don't want to be out of his will say and so, boy, the messages go so well with the hymns we sing and the emails that go out asking for prayer and uh and everything else and I appreciate the fact that the brothers and sisters of this congregation make the will of God priority number one, and that covers where we move to and the job we take and what we do and everything else. The will of God is item number one. And so we have the examples here. All right. I'm going to open a word of of prayer and we're going to advance beyond verse 19 and we're going to see Isaac in verse 20 and Jacob in verse 21 and Joseph in verse 22. And if you think I can't get through three verses in a single hour, just watch because we had an extra hour of sleep last night and we uh, we can do all things through... Christ who strengthens us. Let's open with prayer, shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before You unworthy, but made worthy. Father, in ourselves, we are not entitled to understand any of this. And who are we that we should stand in Your presence and be invited into Your counsel? And yet, Father, in Christ... We are fellow heirs with the heir of all things. I thank you, Father, that we are baptized into union with your Son, and that, Father, when you look upon us, you no longer see the sinner we used to be, but you see the Son of your love. Thank you for rescuing us from the domain of darkness and transferring us to the kingdom of the Son of your love. And so here we are today, Father, once again, presenting ourselves before you as workmen, needing not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. I thank you for the book of Hebrews. I thank you for chapter 11, this hall of fame of faith, looking back over tremendous heroes from the Old Testament, men and women of whom this world is not worthy. And we learn from those examples, understanding that this walk of faith is what it's always been. But how much more is it the walk of faith now with the resources you provided for us? So, Father, I pray that we are humbled. I pray that we learn. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. And so by faith, Abraham offered up his only begotten son. We have a father willing to sacrifice an only begotten. And thankfully he didn't have to. There was a substitute provided. Isaac did not need to die. The substitute took his place. And that's different, of course, from God, the father and Jesus Christ for whom there is no substitute. Jesus Christ had to go to the cross. Otherwise we don't get saved. But when he received his son back, Again, verse 19, he considered that God is able to raise people from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So when the the episode was over and he untied his son and he pulled him off the altar, he was receiving Isaac back. I have my son back. And he didn't have to literally die, but that's how close it came. It was like, I have my dead son back, is is Abraham's view. and so? But he receives him back. Consider that joy. Consider that reunion. Consider that, that thinking, because this is how the father received the son. And this is how the father of the prodigal received the prodigal. This is how God the father received God the son. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended to the father's right hand, the father received him back. The type was fulfilled with the anti-type, the fulfillment, which is in Jesus Christ. And so, really, the bulk of, of this chapter is centered on some powerful typology. Not every episode spells it out like this or tells us that it's a type. Uh, this episode here with Abraham and Isaac is explicit. It explicitly says this is a typology. And that's where we're on very solid ground. There's other passages that are clearly a typology. The rapture of of Enoch is clearly typology, but it's not explicitly spelled out that way. It's rather implicit instead of explicit. We can see the typology of of Enoch and his rapture, but we, we don't see it because it's not spelled out here, but because we know rapture doctrine from other passages of Scripture. I think we have similar typology as well with Moses, similar typology as well with Isaac and Jacob and Joseph that we'll be seeing here today, recognizing that in verse 20, 21 and 22, we don't have the word type in those verses, so it's not explicitly spelled out that way. Nevertheless, we learn from these things that, uh, that instruct us. All right, so now on to verse 20. Hello. Oh. Wake up. There we go. All right, verse 20. By faith... And I'm glad a couple weeks ago we went through this. We actually read through many of these chapters in Genesis and did ourselves some favors. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau even regarding things to come. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. This is probably the shortest verse we've covered yet related to these by faith Old Testament examples. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Now it's curious to me that it gets phrased this way because I wouldn't phrase it this way if the only information I had was Genesis. Genesis. But thankfully, God has more information available to him than we have available to us. And he's writing a commentary here, very similar to what we discussed regarding Sarah. Do you remember when we were talking about Sarah? That uh, in verse 11, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. And I love the fact that we have Hebrews eleven eleven in our Bible. Because if we didn't have Hebrews eleven eleven or a Bible, if all we had was Genesis, I, I can't lie to you guys, I would read Genesis and I would see Sarah laughing, and then denying laughing, and then fiercely defending laughter after he's born. There is a, we don't have the commentary about Sarah's faith anywhere in Genesis, and uh, and that's not... To be critical of genesis or critical of, of of how God chose to write the Bible, I think God chose very specifically to record the things in the Old Testament as He recorded them, God breathed and inspired, and we learn from those, but then to follow up in Hebrews now to give us this commentary on sarah 's faith in hebrews eleven eleven i 'm thankful for that. that that adds extra information, so now, when I do go back. In read Genesis with the hindsight that Hebrews provides, I have a clearer picture on it. The same thing now. Does that make sense? Uh, we covered that with Sarah a couple weeks ago, but now we're going to do it all over again with Isaac. Because, again, I can't lie to you this morning, if I didn't have verse 20 in my Bible, I wouldn't believe it. But I have verse 20 in my Bible, so I have to believe it. And it causes me now to go back to Genesis and say, wait a minute, I missed something there. And I missed it, we all missed it, because it's not as blatant in Genesis as it is in Hebrews. In Hebrews it calls it out, and so we can go back with the hindsight, and then we can spot it. Say, oh, that's what that is. But we wouldn't know it just reading Genesis. See? Because as we have in this example of Isaac, Isaac thought he was blessing Esau. Isaac thought he was defying the will of God. And so Genesis 27, you can hold your finger there or stick your ribbon in there or your church bulletin, whatever you like to do. Genesis 27. And if you're tapping glass, you don't have to worry about any of that. Just tap the glass and navigate in your Bible app to Genesis 27. And and let's observe what Isaac thinks he's doing here. What does he think he's doing? What does Isaac think he's doing? There was a prophecy when Rachel was, when, when, not Rachel, stop me, Rebecca. When Rebecca was pregnant, she had twins in her womb and they were wrestling, fighting. And she wanted to know what's this about. And the Lord prophetically told her, you have two nations in your womb, two babies, two boys that are going to become the patriarchs of two nations. The older will serve the younger. That's the prophetic utterance. That's the will of God. And Isaac was born first because, not Isaac, Esau was born first. Jacob was running late. No comment. Jacob was running late. Jacob was grasping at the heel. This is the story of Jacob's life. I think Jacob had a lot of resentment. We're going to see Jacob in our next verse, actually, verse 21. And so, um the older will serve the younger. that's the prophecy and Esau is born, Jacob is born, and then comes the the story where uh, he, he uh, fixes a pot of stew and he bargains, and he buys the birthright for a pot of stew when Esau is famished, and why is he manipulating things? Why is he being a trickster why is he why is he taking taking it in his own hands? to try to help God out with his promises. That never works. Just ask Abraham that. Go, go to your uh, father Abraham, grandfather Abraham, and ask him. You know, tell me about that human effort and how we ended up with Ishmael again and, and with, Sarah, with Hagar, your handmaid. Human effort, trying to help God and make good on his promises is, is, is wrong every time. Just wait by faith for God to fulfill his promises. But Jacob could never learn that lesson. It took him his whole life to learn lessons he should have learned years ago. And so the older will serve the younger. And now here in Genesis 27, it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, he said, Here I am. Isaac said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. Now let me reread verse 4 and, and give you my own interpretation here. Um, bring it to me so that I may eat, so that my soul may defy the will of God. My soul may bless you before I die. And he thinks he succeeds. When we, when we read down through the details on this, we can get down to verses 27 and so forth. Um there's a uh, Rebecca hatched this plot and helped him uh, fix the dish. You know, the, she knows the recipe and she cooks it real well. And she, uh, she knows what her husband likes to eat. And she helps Jacob put the disguise on with the clothes, with the hair, with the, the, the furry hands and everything. The real uh, Halloween costume here. And Jacob goes in there in total deception. Again, human effort, trying to help God, not only trying to help God make good on His promises, but using satanic methodology to help God make good on His promises. How bad is that? And then Isaac, for his part, in verse 27, and and you, go, you wonder, how suspicious is Isaac? Because he keeps asking these things, and he has these little hints, but he keeps asking, who are you again? Are you really my son? And, you know, in verse 24, in verse 22, you you start to see the skepticism on Isaac's part. So even though he's out of the will of God, he's walking in darkness. He's not completely stupid, but he's 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 still intent on getting his will done. And so uh, you'll notice here, uh, um, how'd you get back so quickly? In verse 20, that's, that's that's confusing to him. And then he says, well, come close so I can see if you are really my son Esau or not. You know, he's suspicious. So Jacob came close and he felt him. And when he feels the, the furry hands, he says, aha, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. So now he's emboldened to continue in his disobedience to the will of God. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He blessed him. And the point is there in verse 23, when he blesses him, he believes he's blessing the other brother. He believes he's successful to bless the one that God did not say would be blessed. And then when it's said and done in verse 24, are you really my son Esau? (laughs) He said, I am. I am. So bring, bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate and brought him wine and drank. His father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. Now he's going to pass the smell test. I mean, all of these different tests. So he came close and kissed him and when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Notice that in verse 27. He invokes the name of Yahweh. He is taking the name of Yahweh in vain. He is saying, The smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. And now he's trying to bless the wrong son, whom God did not tell him to bless. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers. This is open defiance of God's will. May your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you. Blessed be those who bless you. He even adapts the Abrahamic covenant language, and thinks he's giving it to Esau. That's horrible. And so, um, this is what we're looking at now. The uh, when Esau finally comes in. <laughs> We say, okay, the jig is up. Um, Verse 30, It came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out. I mean, somehow he found a back door to the tent or something. He he slipped out, barely was out the door. I'm surprised Esau didn't see him coming out. When Esau comes in with with the food, and uh, he made a savory food and brought it to his father and said, let the, my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. That's verse 31. If I've lost you here, I'm still in Genesis 27 and I'm now down to verse 31. So Isaac, his father, said to him, who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. This language of who are you and the blinded father here. And there's, this kind of reminds me of Paul on the Damascus Road too, by the way. He lost his sight. He said, who are you? Now here's that's interesting. Isaac thought he was blessing Esau outside of the will of God. And, what we, and we do what we do and sometimes we're carnal and we can't undo what we've done. We like to turn back the clock. You know, we get an hour one day a year, but we're not really turning back the clock. We're not turning back our lives. Because, I mean, wouldn't we all want to go back and undo a dumb choice from whenever? Of course. You can't, but see, God remains sovereign even in our carnality, even when we're out of his will. He works all things together for good. God permits this in his permissive will. And so even though he thought he was successful, it is then by faith that he will bless, by faith. And because I have Hebrews eleven twenty telling me it was by faith, I will accept the statement of scripture as the commentary on Genesis 27. And so Isaac comes in, and here's this Who are you? I am your son, your firstborn. And boy, there's doctrine connected there. Because remember, Isaac was not the firstborn. Ishmael, right, was the firstborn, but then he he was not the son of promise, and he was sent away. So this firstborn doctrine should be powerful for Isaac. So Isaac trembled violently. Now, I'm going to read into that phrase, trembled violently. And I'm going to read into that phrase because of what Hebrews 11 and verse 20 says. It says, by faith, he blessed his sons. And so in this tremble violently, I'm, I'm reading into this, but I'm viewing this as his repentance. I'm viewing this as his conviction that the jig is up. He's been caught. God has caught him. This is like when uh, Nathan points to David and says, you're the man in that whole parable where he caught David in the adultery, right? With Bathsheba, you know what I'm talking about? And so when, when, when Nathan exposes David's adultery and says, you're the man, what was David's reaction? He was immediately, he was convicted, he was repentant, he was th- uh, falling on his face in repentance and confession and, and just completely uh, humbled before the mercy of God. And anything short of that, I think, would have killed David. Same thing here with Isaac. He, the jig is up. He's convicted. He trembles violently. And he said, who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of all of it before you came? Gee, who was that trickster? You know, of course, his list of suspects is pretty narrow. <laughs> Like the twin that should have been blessed in the first place, according to the will of God, right, who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. there's that statement yes this is this is in faith, this is in faith, according to hebrews eleven twenty Yes, and he shall be blessed, and so now, in fellowship, Isaac ratifies the contents of what he had said previously in the, uh, the the blessing that was given in verses 27 through 29. But he volitionally now is granting it to Jacob, the son who should be blessed in the will of God. Then, um, of course, Esau is going to have an issue. <laughs> and do you have... Uh, is this the only blessing? What, what you have anything left over for me? So, um, Esau heard the words of his father. He cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Now, this verse also has a divine commentary, but we don't get to it until Hebrews 12. Okay, it's going to come up in the next chapter. Rapture pending. We will finish chapter 11, move on to chapter 12, and you'll see that when we get to Hebrews chapter 12. Because he has exceedingly great and bitter cry, but he's not repentant. He's emotional, but not repentant. And he says to his father, "Bless me, even me also, O oh my father." And he said, "Your brother came deceitfully, has taken away your blessing." And he said, "Is he not rightfully named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing." He said, "Have you not reserved a blessing for me?" Now in Hebrews eleven twenty, it says, "By faith he blessed both of his sons." And so what remains here is not usually thought of as a blessing, but it is. Hebrews says that it is. But it's a temporal life blessing only. There's no spiritual component to it. So have you not reserved a blessing for me? Verse 37, But Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, all his relatives I have given to him as servants, and with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now, as for you then, what can I do, my son? In other words, Jesus is the heir of all things. What's left over? Here's uh, Jacob. Jacob is the heir of the Abrahamic covenant. It is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Ishmael has no part of that. Esau has no part of that. Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. So Esau lifted his voice and wept. If you ask enough and if you cry enough, a parent will give in. but he can't give a spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing goes to Jacob, but he gets a temporal blessing. Even Ishmael had a temporal blessing from the Lord. And so Esau receives a temporal blessing. So Isaac, his father answered and said to him, behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling and away from the dew of heaven from above. You say, wow, that's a blessing. By your sword, you shall live and your brother, you shall serve. That is a blessing. Look, if you can't be the Jewish people, you can serve the Jewish people. There's a blessing in that. In the millennium, there are going to be Gentiles volunteering to be Israel's servants so they can be close to the Lord. Your sword, By your sword you shall live and your brother you shall serve, but it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. And sure enough, in history this happens and even the book of Obadiah is written to, to deal with the Edomite rebellion and uh, the issues there. All right, so Isaac thought he was blessing Esau outside of the will of God. Then by faith, he blessed both sons. And this is the commentary. And and thankfully, we have Hebrews 11.20 to tell us this. Because if it's not in there, I wouldn't believe it. I would not believe that it was by faith that Isaac blessed his sons. Hebrews revisits this event in chapter twelve with a warning for us. I told you we get to chapter twelve. Hebrews chapter twelve verses fifteen through seventeen. The author of Hebrews actually revisits this event when he's done with the Hall of Fame chapter. The idea comes back again in chapter twelve with the idea of the father's discipline and the need for repentance. Other things in this chapter. Verse uh, fifteen says. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. The rest of Esau's history after being blessed by uh, Isaac was resentment, bitterness. It affected him personally. It affected the nation that descended from him. And there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. All that crying we saw in Genesis 27, you know, three or four different verses about Esau's tears, none of that had repentance. Don't confuse tears with repentance. Don't confuse uh, Metamelami with metanoeo. So Too many people do. Judas Iscariot had regrets. He had Metamelami regret. He even returned the 30 pieces of silver he got paid for betraying Jesus. He had regret, but he had no repentance. Neither does Esau have repentance. Don't confuse the emotionalism with repentance. That's that's why so many churches today are lost because they they confuse emotionalism with repentance. They confuse uh, all this stuff. Isaac's blessing of his sons... Extended to prophecies of their descended nations. So the sons were named Jacob and Esau. The nations are Israel and Edom. God himself renames Jacob Israel. And uh, I don't know that he gives Edom that name. Maybe he does gives Edom that name but the 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 boys are Jacob and Esau the nations are Israel and Edom and so what we read here is a prophecy hebrews 11 says he blessed them even concerning things to come when a parental blessing becomes a prophecy wow <laughs> okay You know, we want to bless our children. We want to bless them with an inheritance. We can bless them with the word of God. We can bless them with a godly heritage. We're not going to speak with prophetic utterance concerning their future descendants and and prophecy. But Isaac did. Isaac blessed uh, Jacob and Esau and prophesied regarding the future of Israel and Edom. And we'll save some time on this. We won't look at these things, but I would just encourage you, um, you can see well these aren 't long these are short um, just to give you something to consider genesis twenty five twenty three this is uh, at the uh, pregnancy here. Keep in mind, this was another miracle. Um, provision because uh, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, that's Genesis twenty-five twenty, the daughter of Bethuel the Aramean of Padanaram, Aram the sister of Laban the Aramean to be his wife and Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren and the Lord answered him and Rebekah his wife conceived remember that story when the servant went and got the girl and the girl had the right words she watered the camels and she said all the right things And you can imagine he gets her back and they're married and there's no babies. Well, I think I got the right girl. She said all the right things. All right. Well, another test and um, opportunity for Isaac and Rebecca to pray and to uh, wait upon this answer. And they don't have to wait till they're 100 because it's only 20 years they have to wait. Isaac is 60 when he becomes uh, a father But the children struggled together within her. They had a lot of questions about all of this. And the the Jewish legend, by the way, is that he took her up to Mount Moriah and uh, showed her the place where he was sacrificed and said, this is where the Lord will provide. That uh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And that's where she conceived. We don't know if that's true or not. That's just the Jewish legend about this episode. All right. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And prophets could do this. It's interesting that the wife of a prophet could do this, could inquire of the Lord and get a verbal reply. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other. Esau was always stronger. But the older shall serve the younger. And so we have prophecies here. And when Isaac finally repents and blesses by faith, blesses his children, he's in agreement with what the Lord said here back when they were still in the womb. Genesis 36, 6 through 8. And... uh, These are the records of the generations of Esau, that is, Edom, the Toledoth of Edom. And Esau took his wives from the Hittites, the daughters of Canaan, and they were a grief to uh, Isaac and Ish and Rebekah. And uh, verse 6. Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all his household and his livestock and his cattle and all his goods which he had acquired in the land of Canaan. And he went to another land away from his brother Jacob. Prophecy being fulfilled, Isaac said, you will be away from your brother. For their property had become too great for them to live together in the land where they sojourned could not sustain them because of their livestock. That was Esau's reason. God's reason was, you're not the son of blessing. You will live to the east of your brother and you will serve him until you break the yoke. So Esau lived in the whole country of Seir. Esau is Edom. And then you have the descendants. And it's interesting, when you when you read through all the descendants there in verses 9 and following, and the chiefs in verse 15, and, and uh, they become chiefs, they get a kingdom before Israel even gets a kingdom. And um, that statement gets made as well in the process of this. Anyway, you can read all of chapter 36 if you like. But it's listed there, before there was a king in Israel, these chiefs of Edom and the nation of Edom was, uh, was there. That's verse 31. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the sons of Israel. Isn't that an interesting commentary? Genesis 36-31. Edom got kings before Israel got a king. Just imagine that. okay? Because what do you think Satan's busy doing? When God is making promises to one branch, Satan is promoting the other branch and giving advancement and giving wealth. All these things. Second Samuel 8 and verse 14. The reign of King David. Um, again, I could read the whole chapter if you'd like. It's got a lot of thrilling swashbuckling and battles and victory. David, uh, David uh, didn't win because he was an awesome general. He was a believer by faith that God used. Verse 13, David made a name for himself when he returned from killing 18,000 Arameans in the Valley of Salt. He put garrisons in Edom. In Edom, he put garrisons. This is a military occupational force. It's usually not appreciated by the uh, insurgency that arises to try to get rid of the occupying force. But he put garrisons in Edom. In all, all Edom, he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became servants to David. The word servant there is the word slave. He enslaved them. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel and David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. Well, that didn't last long. Second Kings chapter 8. They remained slaves in David's day. They remained slaves in Solomon's day. But it doesn't take long when you get to 2 Kings chapter 8 and uh, they start to peel away. 20 through 22. In his days, let's see, whose days? Ahab here, let's see. So verse 16 says In the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat. Being then king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, became king. And he was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he was no Jehoshaphat. He was not. Jehoshaphat was a good king, uh, but uh, Jehoram was not. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He copied the northern kingdom, just as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab became his wife. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. When you marry the daughter of Jezebel, that's not a good thing. All right? Not good for your marriage, not good for your kingdom. Remember, Ahab was Mr. Jezebel. So, however, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David, his servant, since he had promised him to give a lamp to him through his sons always. In his days now, notice what happens now in the days of King Jehoram. Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah and made a king over themselves. Then Joram crossed over to Zair and all his chariots with him. So this is what happens, you know, when, you're, when your subject people rebel and say, we don't want to be your subject people anymore, then King George is going to send the redcoats, right? And he's going to hire some Hessians and he's going to try to stop the rebellion, so Joram crossed over to Zair and all his chariots with him, and he arose by night and struck the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots, but his army fled to their tents. So Edom revolted against Judah to this day. And then Libna revolted at the same time. When one revolution is successful, other nations say, hey, we should be independent too. All right, so there they are. By faith, Isaac blessed his sons. Hebrews eleven twenty one says, by faith, Jacob. Once again, I'm reading a verse in Hebrews that if it wasn't written in Hebrews, I wouldn't believe it. If I was reading a human pastor writing a commentary on Genesis and the human pastor was trying to convince me that by faith, Jacob did anything, I would be highly skeptical. But it's not a human pastor saying this. It's the scriptures that say, By faith Jacob, as he was dying, took him long enough, by faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Even on your deathbed, even uh, when you've lived most of your life in carnality, out of the will of God, and bitter. You can still function by faith and glorify Jesus Christ and the will of God. So by faith, like I say, I wouldn't believe this. If this was not in the Bible, maybe I could go back to Genesis and read between the lines, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be um, too quick to do that based on Jacob's track record. We taught a Life of Jacob series way back a long time ago, years and years ago. It was before Life of Christ, it was before Life of David, we did Life of Jacob. And I don't think we even have cassette tapes of those anymore. What a study, the Life of Jacob and, uh, and all these things. But it says here, as he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph and so Manasseh and Ephraim are going to get a blessing. In fact, he promotes them. They get to become full sons instead of grandsons. They're given full tribal status, even though they're, they're each half of the tribe of Joseph. Each of them becomes a tribe. So really, Joseph gets two tribes. Joseph gets the double portion blessing with two tribes of the descendants of Israel. And this is, we're said, it's by faith. But how did this faith come about? Where does faith come from anyway? Anyway. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jacob just took 147 years to listen. Okay. Understand, Jacob's later years were filled with bitterness and regret. In fact, most of his life, not just his later years, most of his life was out of the will of God. Which I think leads to the bitterness and regret at the end of his life. You're not going to have regret at the end of your life if you're looking back over a life that was walking with the Lord. I don't know anybody that spent their whole life walking with the Lord that regretted it on their deathbed. They said, "Oh, boy, I sure wasted my whole life." No. No regrets when you're walking with the Lord. But when you're not walking with the Lord, this is what we see. All right. Did I read Genesis? Did I read Hebrews 11:21 already? Yes. By, Jake, by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of a staff. Okay, so I did read the verse. I want to make sure I spend part of today in Hebrews. We're spending much of today in Genesis. Look at Genesis 47. And if you recall, what brought about this was... Um, Way back in the land of Canaan, Jacob had played favorites among his children and had given that coat of many colors to Joseph, the son of his favorite wife. And um, the brothers resented that. The brothers threw him down a well and packed him off to slavery. In fact, the brothers deceived Jacob. Jacob thought that Joseph was dead all these years. Over 12 years, Jacob thinks that Joseph is dead. And uh, it's not until later that he finds out he's still alive goes down to Egypt and sees him but this is what we're dealing with now at the end of Jacob's life thankfully God of course works all things together for good and even in Jacob's carnality and the brother's evil God put Joseph exactly where Joseph needed to be because the famine was was going to sweep the land and Joseph was able to provide for his family through the seven years of of famine anyway that's all backstory and hopefully you're familiar with all that but Um, when Jacob gets a personal audience with Pharaoh, you know, Joseph says, Hey, dad, let me show you where I work, (laughs) you know, take your dad to work day. He says, I'm going to take you to work. I'm going to show you Pharaoh. I'm going to introduce you to Pharaoh, king of Egypt and Jacob and Joseph can do this because Joseph is really the power behind the throne. I mean, ultimately he's second to Pharaoh, but he's really, he's more powerful than Pharaoh. Pharaoh couldn't save him from the famine from the famine you know if Joseph wanted to, he could usurp the throne and kill Pharaoh and become Pharaoh himself, but he's too humble for that, and he's obedient to the plan of God anyway so then his dad comes down and he introduces his dad to Pharaoh, and it's recorded for us here genesis forty seven verse seven um Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. That's interesting. Not recorded in the Hebrews, but there it is. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? You can imagine. Egyptians didn't live this long. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life. What a statement. Can you imagine? You're face to face with Pharaoh, you're 130 years old, and then you're going to tell him how rotten it's all been. You know, most of the Pharaohs didn't get that. I mean, most of the Pharaohs were poisoned or assassinated or, I mean, anyway. They didn't get that old before they got mummified and replaced by the next Pharaoh. 130. You would think, God's grace has been amazing. By the grace of God, I've I've walked with Yahweh for 130 years. But see, Jacob didn't walk with Yahweh. Rarely. All right. Few and unpleasant. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. Now, he's accurate on that, just as the math is... Abraham lived to be 170, uh, right, 170 and 175. And then uh, Isaac lived to be 180. And here's uh, Jacob at 130. He'll, he'll get another 17. He'll top out at 147 or something like that. He does not reach the age of Isaac. And he doesn't reach the age of Abraham. And he's is, he is pretty bitter. His years are filled with bitterness and regret. It's reflected in this language, and so you know. I mean, I'm not. I'm yeah. I'm rough on Jacob, but I, I, in a way, I can sympathize. In a way, humanly speaking, I mean, Abraham's a tough act to follow, right? (laughs) Because he was willing to stab Isaac on that altar, and then Isaac's a tough act to follow. Honestly, I mean, because he was willing to be stabbed on top of that altar, and so I mean, when when your father and grandfather are Abraham and Isaac. And the creator God of the universe says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. You know, that's that's pressure on a boy, okay? And and then you're the younger of twins and the older one is stronger than you. And and Jacob, uh, in, that, that life of Jacob's study is interesting, okay? For a lot of reasons. And then he says, few and unpleasant have been the years of my soul journey. And, and you think about, I even adapted this, when, you know, when you think about... Um, You know, where you are in the history of things as they unfold. So, you know, you think about Pastor R.B. Theme and you think about Pastor Ralph Braun and you go, wow, few and unpleasant have been the sermons of my pulpit. (laughs) (laughs) Nor have they attained to the sermons that preached by Colonel Theme or Ralph Braun or, or what have you. The point is, that's a stupid exercise. You are who you are in your generation. So walk with the Lord and call it all grace. Okay? Jacob couldn't do that. Jacob couldn't do that. So, um, but then it says, Jacob blessed uh, Pharaoh and went out from his presence. Okay. And probably that's a redundant statement. Jacob blessed Pharaoh by going out of his presence. (laughs) Just get out of here. That'd be a blessing. Okay, Why do I want to keep such a grumpy, depressed person around? So he departs, and that's a blessing. Now, so I'm reading this text, but Hebrews 11 says Jacob, by faith, blesses the sons of Joseph. And so we know that there is a positive before Jacob dies. The promotion of Ephraim over Manasseh, represents a great lesson that Jacob took his entire life to learn. Genesis 48, 1-22. through 22. Because Hebrews 11 says it was by faith, and Hebrews 11 says it was an act of worship. That he blessed these boys, and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Septuagint reading, and Hebrews sanctions that in uh, Hebrews 11. So Genesis 48, Uh, it's a 22 verse chapter I won't read the whole thing for you here this morning but um, it is curious see if you spot some of these trends the um, hmm, came about after these things that Joseph was told behold your father is sick so he took his two sons Manasseh and Ephraim with him Manasseh is the older and when it was told Jacob, behold, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. And this is where the Greek is, has a little bit of a loose rendering of the Hebrew and takes a little bit of a liberty to try to envision this. But how sick was he? If he was never, if he was prone, if he was laying flat, now he's able to sit up. He's able to sit up, and either on the edge of his bed or lean on his staff, he assumes a vertical. Um, posture. So the the Greek translation here is a little bit at odds with the Hebrew. That's fine. Not really an issue. Septuagint's it, not inspired. But Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is inspired. And Hebrews 11 says he's leaning on his staff. So Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, El Elyon, doesn't call him Yahweh, but he does call him El Elyon, which is kind of a Gentile name for God appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And uh, he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous. I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. Now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you. Now this could be an issue. As far as inheritance and the land of promise and so forth, Jacob could have said, You got a couple of Egyptian kids there. They've got no part in Yahweh's blessing. But that's not what he says. Your two sons aren't just a couple of Egyptian kids, they're mine. And he's adopting them here, absorbing them into the Abrahamic, Isaac, and Jacob covenant, the covenant of Israel. Your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. The first two were Reuben and Simeon. So he's promoting grandsons by adoption. He's adopting his two grandsons and making them full sons. They are now equal to their uncles. They are equal to the other tribes of Israel. That's why the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Ephraim have full tribal status and and why Joseph gets two tribes. But your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. So the tribes are going to be through Manasseh and Ephraim. Now as for me, when I came from Paddan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath. And it was just a random stopping place. It was, uh, you know, when you're traveling and you're pregnant and things are rough and you never really know the details of when the kid's going to come. And wouldn't you know it, you happen to be traveling and, oh, it's time to give birth. And where do you happen to be? Happen to be in... Bethlehem, where Mary will give birth to Jesus in a manger, you know, 2,000 years later. But Ephrath, Ephrath, a tiny little dinky place, Ephrath. What is this? Ephrath. And so um, I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that uh, that is Bethlehem. Jesse was the Ephrathite a clan that was too small to be counted among the clans of Judah. But how special is Ephrath and the Ephrathites? How special is Bethlehem? So when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? Who are these? Again, see if you can spot this, right? Because you have an elderly father who's sick, he's about to die, and he's not clear on who these two boys are. (laughs) Like Isaac in the tent, right? He was blind and are you really my son Esau? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. So he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. I think it's divine discipline for his deceit upon his father. Then Joseph brought them close to him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. thought he was dead for 12 years. And behold, God has let me see your children as well. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right and brought them close to him. So Joseph is bringing them in age order. In age order, the older should get the right hand of blessing. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. So how blind is he if he's spiritually awake now for maybe the first time in his life to cross his hands and to bless In the will of God. Hebrews 11 says, By faith he blessed the two sons of Joseph and worshipped. The promotion of Ephraim over Manasseh represents a great lesson that Jacob took his entire life to learn. On his deathbed almost, he finally is recognizing the older will serve the younger what he should have waited by faith, instead of lying, cheating, and stealing, instead of making a mess of pottage, instead of just putting lamb skin on his hands and sneaking into the tent and lying to his father. You know? Isaac trusted his father and got strapped on an altar. Jacob didn't trust his father at all. Jacob deceived his father, put on a disguise and went in there and lied to him to steal the, the blessing. But here at the end of his life, he's learned the lesson. He's worshipping. Hebrews 11 says he worshipped. And by faith, he blessed the two sons of Joseph. So he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, even when I didn't appreciate it, he was my shepherd. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, the evil I brought upon myself when I fled from my twin brother and I went to live in the land of Paddan Aram. Remember, that was the land that Abraham was was... He would not let Isaac go to that land. He said, don't let him go. He sent the servant to go get a wife for my son. Don't let Isaac go to that land. Jacob went there and lived there 20 years. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. May my name live on in them. And the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob blesses, he honors this blessing. Manasseh and Ephraim were promoted to full tribal status. Manasseh and Ephraim, they're going to get 12,000 evangelists in the tribulation. Part of the 144,000, 12,000 from Manasseh, 12,000 from Ephraim. They've got land grants in their name, as full tribes, even though they're grandsons instead of sons. By adoption, they are promoted to sons. Now, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him, and he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And you'd think this would be pretty easy to do if, you know, dad's old and sick and ready to die, but man... You can't even budge the hand. Look at that. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. Manasseh, by the way, even later on will get split in half. Half of Manasseh will live on the west side of the Jordan. Half of Manasseh gets split on the east side of the Jordan. Manasseh ends up being a, a, a two-half tribe, while Ephraim becomes the most numerous tribe of the north. In fact, when the kingdom gets split to the north, remember Jacob, uh, Judah and Benjamin were in the south? When ten tribes go to the north, they're called Ephraim. Ephraim is the dominant tribe for the ten northern tribes. That's the blessing of Jacob upon Ephraim in this prophecy. So we blessed them that day. By you, Israel will pronounce a blessing, saying, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. This This is the day that that happens, that the older serves the younger. So it's an act of worship. The prophet Hosea, this is not the only... Hebrews is not the only commentary on this chapter, and Hebrews is not the only commentary on Jacob. It's curious when you read the prophet Hosea, let's try to finish this with Hosea 12. Daniel, Hosea, Joel. So get through the major prophets, and then right after Daniel, you get Hosea, the first of the minor prophets. I mean, the guy's got 14 chapters. What do you got to do to not be a minor prophet? But Anyway, Hosea 12, the prophet Hosea contrasts Jacob the man with Jacob the nation, highlighting the third patriarch's lack of faith, which again, I think makes Hebrews 11 so staggering because the Old Testament commentary on Jacob is not positive, The Old Testament commentary in the prophet Hosea, the Old Testament commentary on Jacob's lack of faith is not a positive thing. And this is the message that Hosea gives to the northern kingdom as they're about to be taken captive. Ephraim feeds on wind and pursues the east wind continually. He multiplies lies and violence. Moreover, he makes a covenant with Assyria and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord also has a dispute with Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel. And in his maturity, he contended with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel. And there he spoke with us. You get down to verse 12. Now, Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There's no faith in that. He fled to the land of Aram, and Israel worked for a wife. Came back with four. <laughs> he wanted one. He worked for two. He came back with four. Jacob fled to the land of Aram, and Israel worked for a wife, and for a wife he kept sheep. What a message! What a divine commentary. Do you want to walk in grace and accept the love of of Yahweh? Or are you going to work for human effort for what you think you can earn and deserve? Lie, cheat, and steal. Be a trickster. Be a manipulator. That's Jacob. Until his deathbed. That's why we're so thankful that we have Hebrews 11 to give us the the, um, commentary that by faith he blessed the boys of Joseph and he worshiped. Leaning on his staff, probably the final time he ever stood up and out of that bed, to bless those two boys. All right, well, we didn't quite get to Joseph and his bones. Hebrews 11:22, we'll save this for next week, assuming I'm still alive next week. I have a procedure on Thursday. Rapture pending. So, um, anyway, pray for your pastor. And uh, Randy will be covering for me Wednesday night. He'll have the pulpit because I have a prep night for Thursday's procedure. And if I live through it, I'll be back Sunday morning. And we're going to look at Joseph. We're going to look at his bones. We're going to see the bones of Joseph that he didn't want the bones left in Egypt. He doesn't get to walk to Israel, but he gets his bones carried up there. And it's by faith that he arranges the burial of his bones. And we'll talk about that. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for truth. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Father. We're reading things that happened thousands of years ago, but it comes alive and it's, it's for us today. We don't want to be bitter after a life of ignoring you. We want to walk by faith. We want to walk with you each step of the way. We don't want to work and lie and cheat and steal and manipulate. We want to walk by faith and accept in grace all the blessings you pour forth. So thank you for Abraham, for Isaac, for Jacob, for Joseph. The the patriarchs that Genesis records is is a tremendous object lesson for each of us. And I thank you, Father, that when we complete Hebrews, when we bring the Hebrews series to an end, genesis is going to be our next book and so these things we're going to come back to him again father because there's there's a lot to learn from in these uh, in these early chapters thank you for this study thank you for truth thank you for austin bible church and your grace upon us thank you for 25 years of uh, how faithful you are we thank you and praise you father in jesus christ's name amen